Hello, I'm Aaron Kelshika, and welcome to CFA UK's In Conversation podcast. This is a show for investment professionals to hear more about key issues, fresh insights, and a host of exciting interests that are impacting the investment profession today. In this episode, I'll be talking together with Marilyn Sweeney, CFA, and Alicia Nocon about their brilliant piece published by CFA UK titled, Is Neurodiversity the Next Paradigm Shift in Inclusion and Diversity? which you can find on CFA UK's website. Introducing both Marilyn and Alicia. Marilyn is the Managing Director and Head of Institutional Sales in the UK and Ireland for Principal Global Investors, and also an Ambassador for Ambitious About Autism and the Diversity Project. She's previously had roles with leading institutions, including Aviva Investors, Deutsche Bank, and State Street. Alicia is a qualified actuary and the founder of Expand the Circle, a company focused on creating a better understanding and acceptance of neurodiversity. She's had a career in the insurance industry, having worked with global insurers, including Munich Re and Legal in General. She's also a steering committee member for GAIN, the group for autism, insurance, and neurodiversity. Marilyn, Alicia, welcome to the In Conversation podcast. Thank you, Aaron. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, sir, and many thanks for inviting us. So just kicking off, um, sharing from the, the brilliant piece you've written at, uh, for CFA UK on neurodiversity, many people would be really surprised to hear some of the following facts. Firstly, that one in seven people or 15% of the population are neurodiverse. Secondly, that only 16% of autistic individuals are in full-time employment. And thirdly, the idea that thinking and seeing the world differently can be a superpower. And point in case are the achievements of Greta Thunberg and Richard Branson, who are both neurodiverse. Alicia, if we can just start um, by defining neurodiversity, what do we mean when we talk about people being neurodiverse? And what are the, some, some of the common challenges that neurodiverse individuals face in the workplace? What are some of the challenges that you faced in, in your career? Thank you, Aaron. I'm going to start and throw another surprising fact at you, which is the term neurodiversity, which actually isn't as new as, as many people think. Um, that term was, uh, was created by a sociologist, Judy Singer, back in 1990s. And what she meant when she created that term, neurodiversity, is a reflection of natural variation of how human brains are wired and that there isn't one normal or preferred brain type. Traditionally, we have treated and viewed those who experience and process the world differently using the medical model or from a deficit or disorder perspective. For example, the autistic spectrum condition is often defined as impairments in social communication, social interaction and social imagination. Neurodiversity movement has been trying to achieve the acknowledgement that first, a neurological difference is not only a deficit, but also that what makes conditions such as autism, ADHD, or dyslexia disabling is the external environment and lack of support rather than the conditions per se. Let me illustrate this point from my own experience. I myself am on the autistic spectrum or as many of, of, of you may have heard, I, I have Asperger's syndrome. And looking back at my career as an actuary, I flourished in the early stages of my career. 
because many of the skills that come with an autistic mindset work to my advantage. For example, having a deep technical knowledge in an area of work, working within strict parameters and following a logic and rules. And also most of my work involved working with models and data and didn't require that much social interaction. I was able to use my strengths of attention to detail and hyper-focus or the ability to, to be able to, to focus on a task for a long period of time, which are common to those on the spectrum. And these strengths played to my advantage. However, things did change when, when I entered the managerial position and progressed up the career ladder. I found it much harder to, to navigate the daily um, unspoken rules of the role in terms of being able to deal with different types of people and managing often conflicting motivations and goals. There were a lot of changing priorities, a lot of FaceTime and meetings. And something that was very dear to me was, which was being able to focus on a particular project for a block of two to three hours a day was something that was happening far less than, than I hoped. And finally, I also had to stay away from the details, something that I found really rewarding. So you may, you may only imagine how, how draining that has become for me. So Alicia, thanks very much for, for sharing that. Uh, Marilyn, in the piece, you talk about um, community building through allyship. Um, and, you know, it'd be great to hear more about your own experiences um, with respect to allyship and how it's played a role in, in your success. Sure, Aaron. You know, there are many definitions of allyship, but from my own personal experience, it is really having people with a heart to help who want to walk alongside someone, be a friend, but selflessly and with thoughtful efforts to advance the culture of inclusion around them. You know, having been a chair of a Disability and Neurability Alliance network and currently serving in Principles Global One Ability Steering Committee, I can see how important it is that our strength is not in knowledge or understanding of our differences, but how we share common experiences and challenges, our intersectionality. I believe if you start seeing each other as part of a community you relate to, you begin to share in common experiences. You know, the hashtag I am campaign alongside Black Lives Matter was a really powerful example of how intersectionality and then allyship builds community. For me, I was officially diagnosed with Stargardt's disease at the age of 11 a genetic condition which has a prognosis of eventual blindness. Being severely visually impaired means I share in challenges with some neurodivergent individuals, like not seeing emotional cues easily. Equally, I share seeing things differently too. I would certainly not be where I am today without allies who empathetically shared in my journey. Growing up in a developing nation, the solution for my disability adjustment at my large state school was to incrementally move my desk closer to the blackboard as my eyesight deteriorated. By the age of 13, 
my desk was about five inches away from the blackboard in a classroom size of 45 plus. You know, I didn't just feel humiliated and isolated. I struggled daily to capture information for my lessons. However, I was really blessed to have one courageous individual who literally changed my life. A classmate whom I didn't even know very well at the time asked the teacher if I could sit next to her and if she could read everything on the blackboard out to me. You know, that took a lot of courage and selfless commitment. But she saw how I struggled and I suppose she thought she could be the solution, which is incredible. And her commitment really helped change the attitude and the perception of other people around her, you know, and, and more advocates grew, not just, you know, teachers, but more classmates really wanted to create a more inclusive environment and community in school. And this is where I see, you know, actions of such allies who can sow seeds of change for people like me that really moved the ordinary into the territory of the extraordinary. For this wonderful friend, we both won scholarships to the UK as a result of her actions. That's great to hear. And, and thanks for sharing that, that personal uh, story. Uh, and I guess that leads us into, you know, where we currently are, you know, in our industry at the moment. So for instance, different employers are committed in different ways to different degrees. On the other side, uh, employees also are more or can be less open about their respective conditions and all their challenges. Um, just, it'd be great to hear from, from both of you just with respect to, you know, some of your own experiences in that area. And just also, just to also highlight the, the idea that neurodiversity is actually a spectrum. So, you know, under a, an umbrella term of neurodiversity, we've got very, very different conditions. So it'd be great to hear from you just in terms of, you know, employers, you know, how their attitudes are and, and you know, how they've been developing it and potentially some of the, the more proactive ones. And also hearing about, you know, employees and, and how, um, how they are currently reacting and or being more and or less open uh, with respect to neurodiversity in the workplace. Let me start with... Um... With, with the employers, Van Aaron, um, some great points. So we've certainly seen some success stories in that in that arena, in terms specifically looking at the technology and asset management industries. We've seen companies such as Microsoft, SAP, EY, and JP Morgan create bespoke programs that enabled neurodiverse people to join the workforce. And also, there are some specific examples of companies that hire only autistic talent. For example, Oticon, a, an IT consultancy in the UK. However, at the same time, these are, these are a handful of examples. And yes, they've demonstrated that the change is possible and it's also very profitable. Um, some of the statistics that these players shared were higher productivity and retention rate of the autistic cohort compared to the peers. So I think that gives us hope that other companies will embrace that as well. In terms of employees, 
I think there's still this lack of understanding and acceptance of neurodiverse conditions. There's still very much a lot of misconception of what these conditions are and a lot of stigma. And I think in some way we have made good progress in terms of well-being and mental health, especially um, over the last year with, with the pandemic. And I think it's great to see. And in some way, I think it opens opportunities for, for neurodiversity to be spoken about. So in summary, I would say we've definitely seen movement in this arena, but certainly more needs to be done, both from the employer point of view and enabling employees to, to speak about it. Yeah, and I echo that really, because, uh, you know, as, as Alicia mentioned, it's not really about the effort to one or two companies or one or two individuals who can speak. And that's why we really feel quite strongly about that movement, having you know, a community, having allies that interact together across industries, across sectors, and being the voice for different people um, is, is really important to, in order to facilitate change. Because I think the reality is that quite a lot of people are probably one, you know, afraid really to disclose that they are neurodiverse. Um, there's a lot of misconceptions about um, autism and neurodiversity and all the different terms as it is, but also the identification element, whether or not you feel you have a disability if you have a neuroability. You know, so there's a lot of terminology that people really could think about using better, you know, to remove some of the stigmas so that people don't feel afraid that they can come forward to ask for support because it's crucially important that companies are thinking about how they support individuals. And the, the statistics, whichever way you look at it, still indicates there's a huge number of people who must be neurodiverse, who either don't know or are not undiagnosed or are just too afraid within the work, working environment to come forward and ask for support. So yeah, Aaron, I love the fact that we're having this conversation and we're opening this up for companies to think about how they can think uh, to, to be more supportive for the people that they have. And I guess that, that sort of leads on into, um, you know, Elitia Marin, where do we go from here? I'll take this on a little bit because I'm really passionate that I believe neurodiverse talent is really important now. You know, there is a huge, we've seen a huge acceleration from a, from a perspective of a, the digital transformation. And so there are people with specific talent who are thinking of the pipeline of talent can handle this whole vast array of um, needs across the value chain of our industry. You know, as Alicia mentioned, from people with talent to identify patterns in big data, and we know how much that's growing in our industry, to people who are able to keep to very stringent process-orientated work, um, which is, again, if you think of the, the more stringent regulatory environment that we continue to be in, this is highly critical for people to be able to, you know, contribute to that design, think about how we methodically improve the processes we have within our industry. But also there's dynamic roles, you know, in the digital media space that uh, neurodiverse talent can really contribute to. So what's interesting is, you know, a question is how do we drive or harness such talent in our uh, pool in our industry? And one initiative that has emerged during this time is Group for Autism, Insurance and Neurodiversity, or we call GAIN, which Alicia mentioned and Alicia and I are involved in. 
creating with a group of insurance and prominent financial services figures, you know, professional bodies, and also charities to form a community interest company. And Gain's vision is really to promote and increase neurodiversity within the insurance industry to benefit individuals, employers, and society with allyship at the heart of this initiative. Alicia, do you want to mention anything more about GAIN? Thank you, Marlon. In terms of GAIN, there are a number of, of objectives that we want to achieve. The first one being building community for those who are neurodiverse themselves or support neurodiverse individuals, whether it's as a parent, carer, or a friend. At the same time, we also want to build a hub of resources and knowledge sharing. We certainly think that we can improve neurodiversity within, within the insurance sector, but I appreciate that doing it individually and within each organization isn't, isn't possible. As again, we've spoken with key players in the insurance market, and I'm really pleased to share that we've had very positive conversations with, with nearly 20 companies and bodies within the sector. And we had a, we had a round table recently in which everyone agreed that neurodiversity has to be addressed now. In fact, we're probably slightly late compared to other industries, thinking here about the te technology sector and asset managers. And we also agreed that it does require a collaborative effort. It is something that we can achieve better if we work together. I suppose the questions that, that still remain is, how do we best address it? And where do we start in terms of the practical terms? And I think personally, I would say that if we want to increase neurodiversity within our companies, then it has to be tackled both from bottom up and top down. On one hand, we need more neurodiverse people who are in the workplace to share their experiences, as well as the challenges that they face and what works. And at the same time, we also need the openness of the leaders to listen to these voices and take action to improve working conditions, not just for those who are neurodiverse, but the entire workforce. Lisa, thanks for sharing that. And, and probably worth just highlighting that in um, this year's CFA UK Inclusion and Diversity Survey, neurodiversity was also um, highlighted as one of the key areas uh, that uh, that we should look towards as uh, as you know within our own industry to try and obviously expand the awareness and the knowledge. Alicia Marilyn, thanks very much for both authoring this brilliant piece for CFA UK. Is neurodiversity the next paradigm shift in inclusion and diversity, which everyone can find on CFA UK's website? The sincere thank you from me and all at CFA UK for sharing your personal stories and experiences. It's been really great and uh, very much appreciated. And finally, thank you to everyone for listening and taking time to hear more about neurodiversity and challenges faced by one in seven people in our society. Please join us again next time to hear more about key issues, fresh insights, and a host of exciting interests that are impacting the investment profession today 
on CFA UK's In Conversation podcast series. 